Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Shiv, the Chief Product Officer at Auth0, and we discuss tips for taking your career to a new industry, how Auth0 keeps their engineers close to the customers, and obstacles we will need to overcome to reach a passwordless future. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Yeah, so, um, well, I actually started as a, uh, you know, so going way back, sort of uh, started playing with um, computers and programming at a very early age. I, I by the way, I, uh, I'm born and raised in Tanzania, so uh, not the same techno- uh, um, technology exposure as uh, most people in North America or the, or, or the Western countries would, but but you know, start off very early uh, age was just fascinated by uh, by uh, programming and, and and technology, and then um, so I ended up pursuing computer science and, and and mathematics in in college, and then after that, my first job was actually uh, a developer. So I started out as a, nice. as a software engineer, and. Uh, since you are in the media world, some of this you 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 have a good understanding of the media world. You may you may know about this company, but I actually first company I started was uh, was Nielsen Media Research. So you know the TV ratings company. Yeah. they do a lot more, obviously. But um, and uh, and to so start as a software engineer, building um, lots of different software products there. Uh, and then, you know, had an amazing seven to eight year run there doing software, hardware and wearing different hats and growing different businesses. So that was like a, a phase in media and market research. Um, and then I switched to, I went to Amazon for a couple of years where I was focused more on building their core advertising uh, technology platform, which I think now is on a pretty large uh, run rate. Uh, I don't remember the latest numbers, but you know, it's uh, you know, somewhere around 15 to $17 billion business. So wow. built a really big ad business um, and scaled rapidly there, which was a, a lot of fun and learned a ton. And so, and then I switched away from that, went into more marketing technology. I worked at an email startup that was delivering customized tailored uh, advertising in your inbox uh, for, for a while. And then, Sort of have been in startup land since then, uh, and then and then I completely changed industries again. Went into cloud computing with DigitalOcean, which is building products for developers. Yeah, and competing with the giants of Azure and AWS, and and thriving by focusing on developers and simplicity. And then after that, um, you know, uh, founders uh, at Odd Zero sort of reached out and said, "Hey, we really like what you've done at at uh, DigitalOcean. We have." A very interesting product for developers, solving a really big pain point. Uh, would you be interested in sort of replicating that that growth here? And so that's what led me to um, to Odd Zero. And actually, the backstory was like you know my first project as a software engineer was building a single sign-on portal for Nielsen's field All teams. Right. And so when, when Matthias and you, and you asked me, hey, you know how would you like to build a product that solves identity? And I was like, I, re- I know the pro- I knew the problem really well myself because I'd worked on it many, many years ago. Uh, so it was a no brainer. I got the value proposition right away. And then, you know, getting to build again for developers, 
uh, and uh, growing the business at the pace at which we've been growing has been has been fascinating. And so, so yeah, so that's the that's my little bit uh, backstory. That's awesome. That's really cool how it came full circle for you like that. It did. <laughs> you you never expect it, and then somehow you know it's all you know it's the you always are able to connect the dots, uh, the dots, uh, looking backwards. Right. And so yep. this is sort of one of those stories. Yeah. So having changed industry so many times throughout your career, do you like, do you have any tips for wrapping your head around a whole new industry when you make a big change like that? Yeah, I think, um, what's worked for me and I don't know if these are universal things, but certainly these are things that, that have helped me is that when you change industries, you you kind of bring fresh eyes to the problem. So oftentimes, you know, you, you're under the pressure, like you need to be the expert. And so every time I take on a new thing, I, I don't put that pressure on myself because I actually bring the added benefit of not being an expert. So I can, I can ask lots of questions and, and understand the industry from, from the ground up. Uh, the other thing is also when, when you when you change industries, it's good to be a um, sort of anthropologist, if you will. Yeah. Because and especially if you're a leader or if you're an executive, the tendency is normally to like come into a new org or company and start making big decisions. And um, and I don't think that's necessary. Obviously, um, you, you want to learn a lot about the company, uh, the teams, the industry, the customers first and so and so i always start by you know learning everything about um the product people customers and, and customers especially i would i would really emphasize that that when you speak to customers you, you will learn a ton about about the space um and so and so those are the, are some things that have really worked um you know well for me and and um and then obviously being open to learning and reading so i you know, I end up doing uh, doing that a lot. Like, just a practical example, um, when I, um, before I joined DigitalOcean, I was a, uh, a big consumer of cloud products, but I'd never built cloud products directly. And so, you know, right before joining, I spent a lot of time just learning up about core networking technologies and storage solutions. And, you know, the world had changed, so I had to uh, come up to speed. Uh, and similarly with OnZero, uh one of our principal architects had created a series, uh, you know, introduction to authentication. So went and consumed all of that. So, so there are other ways you can come up to speed, but uh, you have to be open to, um, you have to be curious and be open to learning fairly quickly. Right. So when you're in that phase of learning about all the people at the company and learning about the customers, how would you, if you had to chalk up like a pie chart of how you're dividing your time with all that learning, what are you actually doing with your time, like talking to customers or talking to people within the company to get context there? What does that look like? Yeah, in the first, um, um, so I'll, I'll share in the context of the journey of, uh, of where you are in, in, a, in the company or the industry. So for example, in the early days, if you're totally new to an industry in a company, uh, I end up, you know, the first 90 to 120 days, a bulk of my time is spending uh, with customers and with internal subject matter experts who can bring you up to speed fairly, fairly quickly. So, you know, again, that's like a 50, 50 or 60, 40 split, obviously over indexing on customers first. Um, as you get more familiar and as you start growing and maturing and maybe at a later stage, uh, obviously that percentage uh, changes quite a bit. 
And um, I mean, for me still, I, I still spend at least 20 to 30% of my time in some way uh, interacting with uh, customer feedback. Now that could be, you know, being involved in a sales process or, or, or presenting to prospects. It could be that you are talking to industry analysts where you more get, you know, where you get aggregate knowledge of, uh, of, uh, of a certain uh, space, if you will. Um, and there are other things, you know, these days you get feedback from all channels, you know, on social people will post on Twitter. If you go to, if you software product on G2 crowd, there's always feedback posted there. Uh, if you're building a developer product, Hacker News is a great place to go get, you know, constantly get feedback. And so, and so I always keep uh, those channels, I always keep tabs on those channels as a way to sort of uh, always be current on what's working with our product. And then another really good uh, asset also typically that's sort of underappreciated in companies tends to be uh, your support teams and your support uh, ticket queue. You, you, there are so many golden gems you'll find in your support tickets that will tell you where your product is not working and or it's it's failing to meet the customer's needs. And so, I, you know, in aggregate, I still spend about 20, 30% of my time um, uh, with customers and customer feedback. Um, and then the rest of it is really um, distributed internally uh, across, you know, whether it's um, uh, making sure that the, we're executing our current plans with our engineering teams uh, or focusing on uh, some big initiatives or big bets that we have, that we may have decided to work on. So. Nice. So it evolves uh, based on your maturity in the company. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense how you can find a lot of gems in the support tickets, but I'm sure it's got to be challenging to have the discipline to actually go through those because that I'm sure that's not, not always the most fun thing to do, um, yeah. but can definitely provide a lot of value for improving. Yeah. Yeah, we... Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's not easy to scale, but I'll share two examples maybe, um, or at least I'll share where I got the inspiration for doing something like this. So w when I joined uh, Amazon, Amazon did two uh, really interesting things. I think it was at a certain level, every year or every once every two years, you did two things. You actually went to a customer call center or a contact center and you spent an entire day listening to customer calls and observing how you know the uh, the con the customer contact center um, uh, representative handled incoming calls and the types of questions that were coming in and 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 how they responded. I thought that was very good because you get a firsthand uh, understanding of uh, the customer perspective. The other thing they also did was, and this was mandatory, is that I think it was once a year you actually spent two or three days at a fulfillment center on the floor helping, you know, picking and packing uh, items so that you understood how the supply chain elements of the, uh, of the product and company work, right? So I thought that was very interesting because uh, no matter where you worked in the company, you had these two opportunities that brought you really, really close to, uh, to what the customer pain points could be. So... For example, when, when I was at DigitalOcean, we did something similar where we did rotation programs for the product uh, manager team, managers. Um, and what they did was once every few months, they would go spend uh, um, a few days sitting with the support team because we had some support uh, team members in the office in New York. 
And, um, and so it was like a rotation. So they ended up spending, um, you know, they would, they would pick when they wanted to do that so that it wasn't conflicting with big initiatives or anything like that. And, uh, and they would go spend time with uh, both uh, support and customer success teams to understand firsthand what types of questions uh, our teams were getting and what type of improvements you could drive uh, out of that. So, so I think, if you, if you can introduce things like that in your teams, especially as you scale, I think um, those can be points of like inspiration to make sure that uh, you're always keeping the customer front and center. And that it also, uh, I think, forces a little bit of a, a continuous improvement mindset so that you're constantly taking uh, defects or issues out of the out of the system. That's really cool. That's That's something that I wish I heard about more from CTOs and companies in general of doing that, putting engineers directly in front of customers or directly with sales or whatever, because it sounds so useful, so impactful for the engineers uh, to do that. A while ago, we had a company on called uh, Divi. They're like a payment processing. And they were talking about how they call it empathy hour. And for one hour per week, their engineers have to sit in on sales calls or demos of the product. Um, and he was talking about, again, like what you're saying, how that helped them scale so much um, and provided a lot of empathy between the engineers and the other parts of the org uh, to prevent siloing. Do you do, you do yeah. that kind of stuff at Auth0 today? Yes, a couple of examples. So we do that on the Prothean product and engineering, but let's start with product managers first. Yeah, we do have actively product managers actively joining our um, sales uh, teams uh, in pitches and, and doing QBRs with customers. Um, so that's a, a, a very good practice that we have. And then we also have our engineer, uh, engineering leaders and the engineering leadership will join. And, and I'll share two examples. You know, whenever we've had like an outage or we had um, service downtime that, you know, we didn't intend to, you know, those because we're sort of like a tier zero critical service, like we've had, you know, we've had to get on calls with customers so that we can explain, you know, uh, what happened, what are we doing to uh, remediate this in the future and the types of learnings and actions we have. And it creates a really good, healthy relationship with customers. And so our leaders do that fairly so you kind of have a post-mortem with the customers? Yes. Oh, that's really yes, cool. We yeah, we, we, will, we, will, we post um, our RCAs and post-mortems online on our status page, but we will also do uh, calls with our customers, uh, with our customer success team, and walk them through the details and answer any questions that they may, that they may have. The other example uh, is when, um, when you know, we have large customers or customers are asking for complex things. Um, you know, I'll just give a recent example. We, we just built our service to be deployed. So we're deployed on Azure, uh, AWS, and now it, the service is also available on Azure. So there was a pretty large bank that was really interested in our Azure deployment and how we handle security. And so our chief architect in our engineering organization, you know, did several meetings with their uh, our CTO and architecture, uh, architecture team to make sure that, you know, we were able to explain exactly how we build our products, how do we secure our products. And so, you know, and I remember uh, our chief architect, like getting firsthand information of like, oh, this is what it is to like 
you know, sell to a really, really large institution, in this case, a bank and the things they care about and the why behind that. And so I think bringing engineers uh, and even product managers closer to those customer problems, uh, to your point, to your early example, like is really, really powerful because they can carry that context into the things they're working on on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so I think this is a general problem, you know, as you're scaling fast and, and growing teams, I always think of this, this concept of, and, and we, we actually do look at this internally, like what's the distance between the customer and the team that's building a feature. And I, and I encourage actually the, one of the things I learned is it's, it's a healthy thing to step back every uh, two to three years, and depending on how fast you're growing, or you have to do it every year too, to look at that distance and say, you know, is, is this, are we far away from the customer? Because the further you are, the harder it becomes. Uh, and there, you know, there, there are more steps to get to value uh, back to the customer. And so it's something you kind of want to refactor every few years to make sure that uh, you're keeping, uh, you know, that distance is minimized so that the team that's building a feature or a product uh, can really uh, get that, you know, the, the feedback cycles are, are shorter and, and they can act on that information. That makes sense to really be intentional about reevaluating the distance to customer because I think that's definitely something that would be easy to let go if you're not being really intentional about that. But let's take a step back because I don't think we talked about it yet. Can you give me and the listeners an overview of what Auth0 actually does? Yeah, sure. So, um, um, what we are, what we really provide is an authentication authorization service to our customers so that they can provide a secure uh, login experience to their customers. And so, and so really, if you, if you say like the problem is really that every application needs uh, authentication uh, and authorization because you want to know, you want to verify that this person is a person who they say they are and does this person have access to that resource. It's, it's really as simple as that. But implementing identity is fairly complex and mistakes can be catastrophic, as you know, because mistakes uh, in, in a bad implementation can maybe cost you revenue because your conversion rates or signups can go down. And it can add uh, an, a sort of risk to your company because if there is a security breach, a data breach, or uh, non-compliance with, with privacy regulations, you know, you can have, you're adding risk to your business, right, with fines and and uh, and tarnishing your brand, so so we take on all of that burden away, and we've built sort of this uh, identity as a service product, and uh, we make it very simple and easy so that developers can um, can easily configure them, add them to their applications, and can go live uh, fairly fairly quickly. So that's the core of what we uh, what we provide um, to our customers. And then obviously we do that in, you know, we have a free product, meaning if you're a developer, you can go to the website today, sign up for an account, and you can have authentication embedded in your application within uh, within minutes. That's really uh, cool. And then obviously we also scale as as uh, developers or companies scale, we, we continue to provide uh, additional capabilities and features as they start to, to mature. Yeah, I think that's a really smart business model of, giving it away for free at the lowest level, especially for something that's so foundational like authentication, because I feel like for the most part, once people pick their provider or partner for that, 
they're probably not going to change it as they scale unless they have like some needs that come up that the, their current partner can't satisfy. But yeah, that's really cool. So what, what do you guys do better than the, the rest of the competitors? Yeah. So I, I always go back to sort of, you know, why do, why do customers uh, choose us, right? Like, like when we speak to them, like what are the reasons? So I think there are a few, there are four or five uh, things to touch on here. So the first one is really what we call is uh, speed and simplicity. So from a developer standpoint, they can very quickly integrate our SDKs or integrate our APIs and they can go live fairly quickly. And so I think the number is anywhere about 80 to 90% of our customers go live in less than 30 days. And the reason is because the product is very easy to use, very easy to integrate, very easy to test as a proof of concept. And, uh, and so you can go live uh, very quickly. So that's a big benefit to our customers. The second one is around control and extensibility. And what I mean by that is when customers use us in this customer identity and access management context, they really want to control the experience, the branding, the type of friction and experience, uh, uh, security that you want to implement. And so we give them the control that they want, but we also allow, and, and we give them out of the box capabilities, but we also give them the, what we call like sensibility, which is you can write your own custom code in the authentication pipeline. So you can do whatever you want to do because there's a good chance that we cover 80% of your needs and use cases for the last 20%, you, you, your developers, you want to write custom code. And so we, we make that very easy. So our customers love that capability. I think third one is, you know, we've been doing this, um, you know, for many, many years um, across 9,000 plus uh, global paying customers. So, we have lots of identity expertise. We are constantly contributing to standards bodies. Um, we are producing content to educate the, the community about, about the standards and everything about authentication. And so we bring a lot of expertise so that our customers don't have to, and they, do, they really do appreciate uh, that. Um, and then the last two are just scale and security. So we make a lot of investments in, in securing our product and platform, but we build security features for our customers also. And then um, our service can scale. So we've been, we've been uh, you know, we're available in about 22 different regions globally. So if you have a global customer base or if you have a spiky workload, let's say, for example, uh, the upcoming holiday season, you know, you don't have to worry about scaling your service. We do that automatically. We can auto scale the oh, service awesome. up and down based on your on your um, traffic needs. And so, so I would say these are the five key reasons why customers um, uh, come to us uh, versus anyone else in the any other vendor that's that's providing a similar capability. Man, you killed that! You went right through. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Practice, man. <laughs> nice. Uh, so do you find that you guys compete with your customers like in build versus buy scenarios? Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So um, that tends to be one of the biggest reasons uh, a lot of teams uh, end up. So, so there are really two scenarios, right? So either they had cobbled some internal solution. And so the decision they're trying to make is, do I want to continue to invest in that? Or can I can I use a service like ours? Uh, or sometimes maybe their use case is so complex that they are like, well, 
given our needs, we think we should go build it uh, on our own. In either scenario, um, and, and this is something we, we talk to our customers a lot about, is there is a very, on a tactical basis, there is like a, you know, just there's a cost calculation here, which is like, is this something you should be building your expertise on? Let me just give you an example. Let's say if you're an online retailer selling flowers, your expertise is in really building this amazing customer experience, a seamless checkout, uh, beautiful imagery so that somebody can buy the flowers that they want and they can get delivered in the time that they want. That is a unique business differentiator. Figuring out how to log in, how to prevent uh, bot attacks, how to verify uh, is not uniquely differentiating, right? And so, 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 so the one part of the equation is a very simple thing, which is like, look, is this the best use of engineers' time? And more often uh, than not, it's, it's not. The answer is not, right? We, we, we take that burden on so that your developers um, don't have to. The other part, I think, is a business lens, which, which, which is, I think is probably more important, which is, you know, especially given in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, given that we all lived through, through uh, a global pandemic, we were seeing an acceleration in digital experiences, right? I mean, I always joke, like, we all thought QR codes were dead. And then here we are, every time we go to a restaurant, you know, QR codes are saving us. And so, you know, the, the, the customer experiences are changing rapidly. You, you know, now uh, our customers have to differentiate through those digital experiences. And so I think you, you have to look at uh, what can... Uh, this identity as a service or authentication as a service, how can it enable you in achieving those goals, right? Better frictionless sign-up, uh, reducing fraud, uh, fraud, reducing credential stuffing attacks or bot attacks, right? Like those are all things that actually impact your top line. Um, and so I think the business case here, frankly, is on enabling downstream teams and business teams where they can find... Um, and you know, and time to market ultimately, right? You you can you can go live very quickly, and so those are the reasons we, or, or that's the case really against building it uh, in house. Um, and uh, but you know, we still have lots of lots of customers and teams and applications that still choose to do that. Um, so there's quite a bit of uh, room and opportunity there. So do you ever see like a client decides to go build it in house instead, but then they have like vastly underestimated the undertaking and come back to you? Yes, all the time. <laughs> nice. We've had that multiple, multiple times. Um, and, uh, and you know, it actually, the interesting thing is, of course, this is very pronounced in like large companies and you have legacy apps and, you know, uh, you may have um, an existing in-house solution. But I find that, you know, we also serve a lot of startups. We have a startup program also, uh, where we where we cater uh, and help them with the startup plan so that they can scale, and you find even when 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 uh, entrepreneurs are building new companies, they they make the same choice, which is like this is not something I should be building. This is really something that I should just get out of the box so that um, I can scale. Nice. Do you guys utilize any AI behind the scenes at uh, Auth Zero? We we do have uh, we do use machine learning models, especially in our anomaly detection engine. So let me just explain what that is. It's basically we're taking you know hundreds and hundreds of features uh, across your uh, your login activity and build um, uh, uh, this anomaly um, 
detection engine, which essentially produces risk scores, which says, which tells our customers whether a login is risky or not. And based on that risk score, you know, the customer can configure or decide, you know, do they want to block the, that, uh, that login? Should they step up uh, authentication? Like, should they add another factor or another verification in the process? And so, yeah, we've been investing a lot in that in the last uh, two years. And, um, you know, these products are completely invisible to the customer uh, because, uh, because, you know, the, the machine learning models are, are working behind the scenes. Um, but they add a lot of value because we're able to stop a lot of um, bot, bot uh, attacks on, um, on our customers' deployments. That's really cool. Yeah, I love hearing about like the such a wide variety of use cases for applying machine learning. Because like recently I was listening to this other podcast called HPE Tech Talk, which is like a tech podcast by Hewlett Packard. And they did an episode with uh, Walt Disney in their uh, studio lab. And they were talking about how they actually use AI for anomaly detection in yeah. the filmmaking process. Because they used to have these quality control experts that would go through literally every frame of a movie and look for anomalies at the pixel level. So like a single pixel miscolored on a single frame of an hour and a half long movie. And they had people doing that. And so, but now they have AI that's able to do it and find these anomalies and the quality control people are able to do more like critical problem solving on, all right, now we found this anomaly, like, is it worth solving and how do we go about solving it? And yeah, I don't know. That's just I, something that I kind of geek cool. out I, about. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool application of the technology too, right? Because you're saving time and frankly, you're improving the quality of the, uh, the movie itself. I didn't even think that that was an application, but that's really amazing. Yeah, right? So I, I saw that Auth0 had a partnership with um, Fin AI. Are you, are you still engaged with them? And what's that like? Uh, we, we've recently launched a, um, uh, an integrations marketplace. So we're constantly integrating with, uh, with downstream providers. And essentially... This extensible framework that we've built allows us to, to really connect with um, uh, other business systems. So let me just give one example. Some of our customers may want to do um, ID proofing or ID verification. The classic example is, you know, let's say you, you bought, uh, let's say you had you use an app to buy uh, wine on, um, you know, from a merchant or online and you got delivered, but you know, to, before they deliver, they verify your ID, right? Same thing with Airbnb and others. But anyway, the so there is some form of verification that says you are who you are. For whatever reason, most of the times it's due to compliance and regu highly regulated industries. Now, we don't provide ID proofing today out of the box. And so what we've done is we've, we've partnered with, um, with others who do, but they can easily integrate into our marketplace. And so there are all of these categories of, ID proofing, developer tool, tooling, consent management. There's like a whole, you know, CRM, web analytics providers, a whole host of categories that we we essentially um, integrate with, so that so that these partners can then provide uh, the value that our customers uh, are looking for. And so we, we you know, we now have uh, you know over 120, 130 uh, new partners that we've that we've added. Uh, into sort of our marketplace and the plans are to continue to to add more. Very cool. So I want to talk a little bit about like the 
passwordless future. It's like the, the current buzzword I feel like in um, in your industry that I'm super interested in because we recently on the podcast had on Zane Bond from a company called Keeper Security. They're like a top rated password manager. And Zane was talking about the potential for the passwordless future um, and like how there's like three different ways to authenticate, um, whether it's something you know, something you are, and I cannot remember the third one. You're going to have to check out that episode. But <laughs> I'm just curious, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that you think we need to overcome to get to where we will no longer need passwords? Yeah, so so uh, there are a few here. So first off, you know, we, we also want to get to a place where we, passwords are completely eliminated because they are actually a big attack factor, yeah. right? If you look at most um, breaches and the like. So there are several things we're, we're, we're doing here. The first um, one is, you know, supporting uh, existing standards. So for example, uh, WebAuthn is a standard that's, you know, support in the industry. So we just added support for that where we, uh, you know, allow our customers to enroll these additional factors, you know, platform, roaming authenticators or platform authenticators such as, you know, Windows Hello or Apple uh, Face ID, Touch ID. And then we also allow, and we allow our customers to enroll their customers progressively. So, because one of the things in the customer identity and access management space is that unlike, you know, in the workforce or employee use case, you know, you can force your employees to always do two-factor authentication or, right. or whatever. But for customers who are maybe checking out on your website or they're there to, to view content or whatever, you have, to be, you have to be only introduce friction if you absolutely uh, need to. And so... So what we've done is we've allowed progressive uh, enrollment of these new factors. And then now we also allow our customers to set those platform authenticators to be the, the to be the primary authenticator. So, you know, you don't have to do your second factor and the like. So, so we, you know, th this, this capability was built very uniquely to allow our customers a flexibility, a progressive re-enroll or cut over directly should they, should they choose to. Then, and I think, so that's sort of part one. The second part is really around making sure that um, uh, we, can, we, we can verify who, the, who that person or customer is. So, for example, you know, now that we're part of, uh, you know, a, a larger company in Okta, whose specialty is, has been in, in workforce authentication, we can really partner together to figure out, because we probably know a lot about the different uh, identities, right? And we can probably ensure our customers that this identity that is trying to log in is verified. And so, you know, you don't need to essentially ask for, uh, for a password. And, and so we've done all of, you know, so, so going back to, we've done everything from like, you know, login with magic links, doing one-time passcodes to supporting these, uh, you know, standards such as WebAuthn. And I think the future is going to be, you know, us providing some, unified very unified uh, uh, sort of verified ID such that our customers don't have to uh, ask the customers to um, to use a password uh, and, and you know they can use their primary identifier and just log in because we know so much about that 
about their user. Um, so I think that's one. And the second thing is, you know, we want to do this in a way that's um, uh, also um, compliant with with privacy. I, I think you know customers really care about our privacy, and so this is where you know there are solutions today. If you look at you know login providers, this what I call social login providers, such as Facebook, Google, uh, and others. You know, I think the tricky thing is, well, if you're using those uh, login providers, you know, what, what is the level of privacy that you're getting uh, with them, right? And so I think on our side of the equation, that'll be something that, that we can bring uniquely because we, we have no, we're not using anyone's data for any other nefarious or different business model, right? Our, our job is just, we want to provide a secure and safe login. And that's really it. And so, so our use of of, um, of these different signals and data points is really to provide this frictionless login experience and also verifying that the person is who they who they say they are. So I think we're in a unique position to be able to solve that, given that we're already solving for so many of these use cases, and we would be an independent provider doing that. Right? We're not. We're not sort of signing with Amazon. We're not signing right. with Apple. We're not signing with Google or Facebook or whoever, right? It's really a truly independent service that is uh, that is there to serve uh, both uh, our customers and, and their customers. That makes a lot of sense about trying to make it as frictionless as possible because I feel like when you like require two-factor authentication, um, that just makes people annoyed sometimes <laughs> right and yeah you, you and and um i mean look i'm very familiar with with two-factor authentication and so to me it's okay yeah yeah but you have to think about uh, uh you know we're all tech savvy and we use products and phones and log into products all day long so we're used to that but i think you know i always think of like you know um if you're thinking about your family or your aunt or your uncle or your grandparents and like, you know, their experience with the bank that's now asking for, for, you know, SMS verification, like these are all friction points that, you know, uh, in the case of bank, you know, they have to think about that, that, that yes, security is important, but they also don't want to add additional friction along the process. And so I think that's the, the tricky balance here. Right. And if, if added security means added friction to the sign-in process, I feel like most people are just not going to be secure. Yeah. Like if, exactly. they, if they have the choice. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how many years do you think we are until passwords are a thing of the past? Oh, we've been, I think in the industry, we've been predicting the demise of passwords <laughs> for quite a while. Um, we are much closer, I think, today than, than we ever were, um, uh, simply because, A, lots of people have devices, the world is getting extremely connected, and we have a lot more data signals to verify uh, perhaps who you are. And, um, and so I think, I think we're much closer uh, to that world. It's really hard to say, is this two or three years away? Let me just share some, <laughs> right, some yeah, interesting examples. When, when we... You know, it's funny when when MFA as a you know multi-factor authentication came out, you would have thought everybody has adopted MFA. Not the case. The adoption is pretty slow. I and I think about a uh, I'd seen these numbers about a year year and a half ago. Like MFA adoption was in five to ten percent range. Okay, so so just think about it. You know, as much as we, you know, 
because technologists, we all love to believe that we built this, so I'm sure everybody will adopt it. But what I, you know, adoption sometimes uh, takes much, much longer. I, I would imagine that MFA adoption is much higher today, but still low compared to where, where it could be. And so I think the same is true of, um, of true passwordless, which is, I think there are, there are enough solutions out there and there is enough progress where I think you'll, you're starting to see adoption uh, uh, of some of those solutions. But I think it's going to take us a few years before we, we completely uh, get there. And, um, and I think that it, it also vary, like I think in, in other, and you have to take a global view of this too, which is in other markets, right? Um, you know, email is not even a unique or primary identifier, right? It tends to be your phone number. And so, uh, and so there things get easier because you can, you can do um, one-time codes and, and things like that. So I think we are making steady progress, but it's hard to say, is this going to be a three to five year journey or 10 year right, journey? Right. I think it, it really depends on uh, adoption of, of these capabilities. Absolutely. And that's a lot harder to predict because, I mean, I feel like the technology is there today yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of using it, adopting it and eliminating that friction. But I, okay. So I do want to hear about the Okta acquisition a little bit, because I know that was still pretty recent that, that happened in May, right? Yes. Very cool. So what has that been like and where are you now in the, in the process? Uh, the, the, well, uh, I'll first, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, the acquisition news was very exciting simply because both of us, both companies sort of were, were solving for uh, the same problem, but we arrived at it obviously from, uh, we started at different places, right? So they started focusing on providing this uh, seamless and secure experience for employees, contractors. Um, and um, we started with, you know, seamless and secure uh, experience for um your customer's customer, so customer identity access management. Um, and the beauty of bringing sort of uh, both of these capabilities together is really together we can, well, we can accelerate these big ambitious goals such as passwordless faster than, than doing it on our own. And the second thing is we can truly uh, help solve the breadth of use cases. You know, we, we talk about sort of workforce authentication, customer, I mean, access management, so these are two big use cases and categories, but there, there are a lot more that are emerging that we also want to want to solve for. So, so I think bringing uh, both of these capabilities together in a unified fashion uh, helps us address our customers' needs faster. Uh, we have complementary capabilities, so we can bring unique things to our customers that I don't think anyone else can, frankly, in this space. And... Um, and, you know, we can achieve these ambitious goals of having a truly independent provider that does passwordless uh, much, much, much more quicker. And so far, the integration, I mean, the acquisition obviously has gone really uh, well by, by all counts, um, uh, by our measures internally, obviously. And, uh, and it's incredibly exciting because we get to dream up a much bigger and more bolder future uh, for the industry. And so... So I think teams on both sides are, are equally excited to collaborate, get to know each other, and uh, and start solving some of these bigger bigger problems. So that's the journey we're on, and we expect to share a lot more 
as uh, as we continue to you know refine our our vision and and sort of specific plans on well what happens to the products and platforms and and roadmaps. That's really cool. I, I like how a couple times so far you've mentioned that being an independent provider is a real strength for you guys because that's not something I've really thought about um, in terms of authentication before, uh, but makes so much sense that you don't want your authentication provider having other lines of business that include selling data because that's just so so scary like yeah selling data or you know it's everything from selling data or uh, providing other uh, services too so i'll just give some examples like uh you know you have Identity services Microsoft provides. You have identity services from AWS. You have identity services from Facebook, from Google, from Amazon. But they all have all these other businesses too, right? So, you know, they 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 are not truly independent or are not motivated by by truly securing our customers or our customers' customers, right? Because they're, you know they're operating in so many different businesses and and um, probably have other incentives internally to to sway things one way. Uh, or the other. So, so we truly believe having this independent platform that is frankly agnostic of any cloud and agnostic of any other downstream business so that we can truly focus on the problem that, that our customers really care about. And, and I, I do think it's a big differentiator for our customers. Uh, this notion of being independent is important because we're a critical tier zero service, and um, and uh, you don't want uh, any other uh, any other objectives to come in the way of that. So, so I, I think there's there, it's a big differentiator. I think it's important to our customers. Absolutely. So yeah, shout out to all the CTOs listening. Implement Auth Zero so my stuff can be safe, please. <laughs> exactly. We're all consumers at the end of the day. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up on time. Is there anything that we didn't get out there that we want to make sure we get out before we uh, call the podcast? Um, no, I think, I think you know, um, well, just a couple of things. We, we are always uh, looking for, for feedback. And given that you have a very technical audience listening in, uh, if there's anything that we can do from a product uh, or service perspective, obviously, we'd love to, would love to hear about that. And then uh, second, you know, yeah, this is like, you know, my fifth or sixth uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of run at building products. And, and at least the things that I have learned is that all of the things that are not unique to your, to your core business, uh, you should, you should uh, uh, rent or outsource uh, in this case. Uh, it just gives you, uh, gives you a lot more velocity in how you can build um, for, for your core needs of your customers. And so, you know, things like uh, authentication is just one of those. Like, it's it's really important. Every app needs it. Uh, but, uh, you know, strongly recommend uh, CTOs and companies not to take that on because it's, it's just not a you know, unique differentiator. And so, you know, and, and then beyond that, it's, you know, I think, we all talk about authentication, you know, everybody thinks of login box and login as a service. Obviously that's the first thing you do. The other thing is as you continue to grow your business or, or the customers that you're serving, 
you're sort of going to go on your own identity maturity, if you will, and you'll find that you're going to need a whole lot more down the line in terms of security, compliance, uh, um, and global scale that that a lot of companies don't think about initially. And so again, that's something that we can we can easily uh, scale with our customers uh, and provide. So. Uh, it's it's another area to also watch out for. Yeah, and I think that b- both of what you just said really tie into each other of um, planning for the scale, scaling needs of your authentication and just focusing on what you're good at because if authentication isn't your differentiating thing, you're not going to have the wi- a wide enough perspective to think about those future things. As with really anything, a part of your business that you're not, that that's not your core competency. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's something that should be so intuitive to just go all in on your core competency and outsource everything else, but not enough companies are doing it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.